Thank you for joining us today. For more information about the church, campus locations, service times, and more, visit ecoegt.com. Also, stay in touch with us on social media by liking us on Facebook and following us on Instagram, at ecoegt. Now let's repair our hearts as we go into the message. Haven't you enjoyed the sermon series, Ruth, from Tragedy to Triumph, that Pastor's been preaching? Man, it's been powerful. We've had some powerful weeks last week. Many people getting baptized in the Holy Spirit for the first time and getting refilled with baptism in the Holy Spirit. Just powerful, powerful sermon series. And, and today, Pastor and, and, and Miss Christie send their greetings to you. Uh, today, they are enjoying service with my brother Judah and his wife Courtney today at Calvary in Ormond Beach, enjoying a nice, relaxing weekend. You know, the Lord got him because he was going to the beach and the rain came, you know. So, you know, watch out. Watch out. He sends his, his greetings and uh, today, and they're watching today on live stream with us. And, and uh, so this week, week four, and closing out our sermon series on Ruth, but I want to start with a couple funnies. Is that good? I mean, I, I can't preach without giving a couple, couple funnies, you know. And I, I read this one. It's called Helpful Prayer. Johnny had been misbehaving and was sent to his room. After a while, he emerged and informed his mother that, that he had thought it over and then said a prayer. Fine, said the pleased mother. If you ask God to help you not misbehave, he will help you. Oh, I didn't ask him to help me not misbehave, said Johnny. I asked him to help you put up with me. Come on, you ever had to ask the Lord to God, just give him grace to put up with me. That's good. And I came across this, this one, and what's funny about this next one is it's a joke, but I actually have seen it actually happen in church. And it says, one Sunday in a Midwest city, a young child was acting up during the morning worship hour. The parents did their best to maintain some sense of order in the pew, but were losing the battle. Finally, the father picked the little fellow up and walked sternly up the aisle on his way out. Just before reaching the safety of the foyer, the little one called loudly to the congregation, pray for me, pray for me. <laughs> no joke, all jokes aside, when I was growing up at a church that my dad pastored before, there was a little young man, his dad, he was acting up and being real loud, and his dad was taking him out. And uh, as he's taking him out, the kid just goes, no, daddy, no, daddy, no, daddy, right in the middle of, this, of the sermon. What are you going to do after that, you know? It's just, you know, what, what are you going to do? But it's funny, right? Church is meant to be enjoyed, not endured. Amen? Amen. Turn with me to the book of Ruth, Ruth chapter 1. See, what I love about the story of Ruth is the ultimate story of a tragedy to triumph. It's the ultimate story that, that when we feel like we're in a hopeless situation, God can meet us in a hopeless situation and bring our triumph. And so what we're going to do today is continue to, dis to dissect the book of Ruth. And what I want us to see here is that Ruth didn't end up in triumph by accident. Ruth didn't just, just wake up one day and go, oh, how did I get here? Life is great. Life is grand and dandy, right? No, she, she didn't just wake up and accidentally fall into triumph. You see, we're not just going to fall into our victory. 
We're not just going to wake up one day and, and just go, oh, man, I didn't do anything, and, and that was super easy. No, it's going to take a little bit of effort from our part to move from our tragedy into our triumph, to move from our battle into our victory. And so I want to look at the, the, the life of Ruth today and look at what she did and what she did to be able to take her tragedy into triumph. Basic things. I love it. So let's start reading the tragedy. The tragedy is in Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and his two sons with him. The, names, the man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malone and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other a woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, both Malone and Kilion died. This left Ruth, or this left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughter-in-laws got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. So we, we find the tragedy. She's lost her family. She's lost her, 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 her way of life in a foreign land. Now she's making a track back over to Judah. And so here's the, the triumph. We all love the triumph part of the story. And in chapter 4, we read in verses 13 through 17, it says, So Boaz took Ruth into his home, and she became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Naomi took the baby, cuddled him to her breast, and she cared for him as if it was her own. The neighbor woman said, now at last Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. Let's go into open with prayer. Father, thank you for this time to be able to break the bread of life. I pray, God, that as we partake from your table, God, and we eat from your word today, God, I pray that we will leave this place, God, uh, uh, full of faith, full and stirred up with faithfulness, Lord. God, I pray today that the words I speak won't be my words. They'll be straight from your heart. God, we open up our hearts, we open up our minds, we open up our ears to hear from you. We receive your word. We receive what you have to say. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. See, the story of Ruth is a story about living a life beyond yourself. We find here that in, in chapter one is tragedy, and in chapter four is the triumph. I, I'm just going to bring something very simple to plain sight. There are 
multiple chapters in between the tragedy and the triumph. There is a process, there is a cadence, there is a story that is taking place. Ruth didn't just fall into her triumph by accident. There was an intentionality. There was an intentionality that Ruth had and Naomi had with their lives where, where, where they weren't satisfied with their tragedy. And sometimes we have to become dissatisfied with our current situation. We have to become dissatisfied with, with, with the cards we've been dealt and say, I'm going to do my part and let's watch God do his part. See, the, the ultimate story of living beyond yourself is Ruth. Ruth, her husband dies, and she gives her life to serve her mother-in-law. She, she, she says, your God will be my God. What you do is what I will do. Ruth wasn't focused simply on her tragedy. She was focused on helping someone else. See, sometimes we can become so caught up in our tragedy that we become inwardly focused. You see, if we're just focused on our tragedy and focused on the bad things that are happening, we can never lend a helping hand to somebody else. But Ruth, what was the first thing she did? She lended a helping hand. She got her eyes off of her tragedy and onto helping someone else. You see, tragedy is a fascinating thing because, because no matter what, the closer you put tragedy to your eyes, you can block everything else out in your life. You see, you're all sitting here, but the, the, the closer I bring my finger to my face like this, the more you dim away. See, the same thing's true with tragedy. The closer I bring my tragedy and my focus on my tragedy and what I've lost, the more the good things in life will begin to dim, the more God in our lives will begin to dim, the more the goodness that he's brought to us will begin to dim. Why? Because our eyes are on our tragedy. And when our eyes are on our tragedy, we become inwardly focused. And you and I were never born, born to be inwardly focused. You see, our life isn't about us. It's always about others. And so today, maybe you're walking through life and you're going, man, my life is great and it's all about me. I'm just come to, 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 to like, like uh, what's that girl's name? Like a wrecking ball. Just come through and, and, and just say, hey, life isn't about you. Life is about others. Right? Life is about others. And if we're going to move from our pain into our promise, we have to begin to live beyond ourselves and beyond our own needs. Ruth lived beyond her own need. This week, I had the honor of, of listening to a pastor who uh, shared his testimony, him and his wife's testimony. They're pastors in Alabama. And this pastor, um, was, his, his, his first wife had a, after, right after they got married and um, had, had some kids got a debilitating disease where it completely ate at her, her, her body. She couldn't walk. She couldn't talk. She couldn't move until 25 years goes by and she's in a complete vegetable state for eight years. And he tells a story of living in pain. And if anybody could understand real pain, it was him. Where every morning he would go to her bedside and pray and say, today, I'm going to be faithful to you. Today, I'm going to honor our vows of marriage. Today, I'm going to keep on keeping on. You see, he said this, and I wanted to, to share it with you today. You have to allow your pain to become the platform for your proclamation. 
you have to allow your pain to become the platform for your proclamation. It's in the middle of pain, it's in the middle of tragedy that people of the world will truly find out what believers actually believe. It's in the midst of persecution, it's in the midst of trial, it's in the midst of tribulation that the world will finally see the message of the church. And we have to allow our pain to become the platform for our proclamation. So maybe you find yourselves in a tragedy. You find yourselves in your pain. Allow that pain to become the platform for the message of the gospel, for the message of your life, that there is hope in Jesus, that the goodness of God doesn't change dependent on my tragedy. Allow the pain to become your platform. But so many of us can bring our tragedy so close that it blocks out everything else. Allow your pain to become the platform for your proclamation. I believe many of us are on our way from tragedy to triumph. And Ruth shows us how, to, how tragedy in our lives doesn't have to define us. It doesn't have to stop us. Your pain, your tragedy doesn't have to stop you in your tracks. It's not your end game. It's just a part of the story. It's a part of the process. It's the part of God molding us and fashioning us. I love Pastor Bree last night was kind of doing some tweets, and I love Twitter. And she was saying something along the lines of, of you know, sometimes we, we, we want to bypass the hard things in life. And, and I had this thought, you know, sometimes God only does things the hard way. Sometimes God only does things the hard way. Some things aren't just easy because the fight teaches us about the process. So I want to take away three things from Ruth's tragedy to triumph and what Ruth did that positioned her. Ruth did a fascinating things that positioned her to receive her triumph, right? She didn't just fall into it. She was intentional. The first thing is this. First point, if you're taking notes, is faithfulness. Faithfulness. Ruth chapter 2, verse 7. It's a worker replying to Boaz. She, meaning Ruth, asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She has been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes rest in the shelter. I want you to see something here. In the midst of Ruth's tragedy, where do you find her? You find her in the field working hard with her hand. You find her trying to, to do something. You find her not, not just wallowing and sulking in the tragedy. You find her putting her hands to the plow and working hard. And I want to tell you something. If you do you, God will do God. If you do you, God will do God. But sometimes we're waiting, God... Go ahead and do it. God, go ahead and do it. No, you be faithful. You be faithful in the field, in the midst of the tragedy. You do you, and God will be God. God will do God. It was because of Ruth's faithfulness that Boaz showed her favor in the following verses. When you don't know what to do, and it seems like your life has become nothing but tragedy, be faithful. Be faithful. 
Be faithful where you are. Be faithful to the season. Be faithful to your family. Be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful because it's in your faithfulness that God is working behind the scenes to give fresh favor and grace to establish your triumph. See, sometimes God's waiting for the faithfulness before he brings the Boaz. Boaz would have never came if it wasn't for Ruth's faithfulness. The triumph would have never happened if it wasn't for her faithfulness. Without Ruth's faithfulness, her story would never reach triumph. Naomi's story would never reach triumph. And I want to tell you something today. Without your faithfulness, without your faithfulness to God, without your faithfulness to his kingdom, without your faithfulness to what he's put in front of you, you can never reach your triumph. This is a beautiful sermon, isn't it? It's happy. This is a happy sermon. It's going to get better, I promise. But we got to learn to be faithful. we got to learn to be faithful in the field. Stay faithful in the midst of the tragedy and know that God is working behind the scenes. See, if you don't know what to do, if you don't know where to go, the easiest thing, the best thing you could do for your life, if you don't know what to do or where to go, be faithful. Find something. Find that and be faithful. Stay hard at work. Love your husband when he's not showing you the attention you deserve. Keep going to Bible study in church when you feel like nothing is getting better. Pray for the children that are living in rebellion and you don't see any hope of them turning back to God. Be faithful. Keep doing what is right. We don't do what is right because it always is the greatest thing. We do what is right because it is right. And God has commanded us and encouraged us to do it. Be a faithful person. Live a life of faithfulness. Living in faithfulness. Your triumph is depending upon it. Ruth chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. Ruth says this. This is her talking to Naomi. Don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. This is Ruth's proclamation. This is her allowing her pain to become the platform for her proclamation. Your God is my God. I will live a life of faithfulness. I will live a life of giving myself to you before I care for the needs of my son. And because she allowed her pain to become the platform for her proclamation, we find this in Ruth chapter 2, verse 11. Boaz says, yes, I know. But I also know about everything that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I've heard how you left your father and mother in your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. It was because of the faithfulness of Ruth to her proclamation, because of her faithfulness, that Boaz now enters the scene and it says, because of your faithfulness, favor is now granted to you. Blessing is now granted to you. See, when you're faithful, God is faithful. And I understand the faithfulness of God is not dependent on you and me, but it's 
by his mercy and grace, he's been more faithful when I'm not faithful. He's been graceful when I'm not graceful. He's been merciful when I'm not merciful. But I do understand this, is that when I'm faithful, I can rest assured he's going to be faithful. God is faithful. See, you've heard the saying, you can't outgive God. I want to bring a new little phrase to that. You can't out-faithful God. You can't be more faithful than God. Show God your faithfulness, I guarantee you he'll show you his faithfulness. Faithfulness is, is, is something that grabs the attention of God. I love this quote by Edwin Lewis Cole. He's an old-time AG pastor. He said this, your faithfulness makes you trustworthy to God. Your faithfulness makes you trustworthy to God. See, it's sometimes God is looking to see how faithful we will be to determine what he can trust us with. Is, are we positioning ourselves to be trusted by God to a greater extent? So the first thing was faithfulness. The second thing I see from Ruth is faith. Faith. Now, faith and faithfulness are two different things. Faith and faithfulness are, are different. Faithfulness is doing what's right, even when it doesn't feel good. Just, just being faithful. Doing what you got to do, even when it's not yielding results. But faith is stepping out from where you are and trusting God to do the impossible. See, faith is this in Hebrews 11.1. 1, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of the things that we cannot see. Faith is the action Behind the belief. See, we can be faithful without ever stepping out in faith. We can be faithful without ever stepping out on what we believe and saying, all right, God, I don't see how you're going to move, but I'm going to take a step beyond what I see. I'm going to take a faith step. I'm going to take a step forward. See, it's one thing to say you believe something. It's another thing to act on it. It's another thing to, to step out in faith. Ruth chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. says, after Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he laid down on the far end of the pail of grain and went to sleep. Then Ruth came quietly, uncovered his feet, and laid down. Around midnight, suddenly, Boaz woke up and turned over. He was surprised to find a woman laying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. I'm your servant, Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You're showing even more family loyalty now than you did before. For you have not gone after a younger man, with whether rich or poor. Now don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary, for everyone in town knows that you are a virtuous woman. But while it's true that I am one of your family redeemers, there is another man who is more, cost, more, more closely related to you than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning I will talk to him. If he is willing to redeem you, very well. Let him marry you. But if he's not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now lie down here until the morning. We see Ruth comes to the feet of Boaz. Ruth comes to the feet of Boaz. Boaz was 
the kinsman redeemer. Pastor's been talking about this the last couple of weeks. The kinsman redeemer. He was the one that, that could change the trajectory of Ruth and Naomi's life. A kinsman redeemer is a male relative who, according to various laws of the Pentateuch, had the privilege or responsibility to act on behalf of a relative who is in trouble, in danger, dead, or in need. So with Ruth and Naomi's husbands and, and, and their brother-in-laws being, being dead, their, their closest relatives had the opportunity to redeem them and carry on the lineage of their lives. It would be Boaz's responsibility to act on behalf of his dead relative, Ruth's husband, and give her a child. The Hebrew term goel for kinsman redeemer designates one who delivers or rescues or redeems property or person. Actually, in Exodus 6, 6, God refers to himself as the kinsman redeemer. Therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression. I will rescue you from slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful hand and great acts of judgment. See, God was the redeemer of Israel. And, and, and all throughout the Bible, we see this. And what I love is that it said here in verse 10, Ruth showed more family loyalty than before. She showed more family loyalty to Boaz than before. Doesn't mean she wasn't loyal before. It means she did something different this time. The family loyalty she had before was faithfulness, but now her family loyalty was stepping out in faith. Show your faith to your kinsman redeemer. See, it's it, we, we got to be faithful with what God's put in front of us, but we also have to show our faith to our kinsman redeemer. You and I have a kinsman redeemer. You remember me going, well, who's my kinsman redeemer? Is it my brother? Is it my no, 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 no. We're under the new covenant. Our 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 kinsman redeemer is in Hebrews 10, 11, 10, Hebrews 2, 10 and 11. It says, God, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory. And it was only right that he should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader, fit to bring them into salvation. So now Jesus and the ones that he makes holy, that's you and I, have the same father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. You and I have a kinsman redeemer. He's greater than Boaz. He's greater than Abraham. He's greater than Moses. Our kinsman redeemer, his name is Jesus. And whatever we face, we can come to the feet of Jesus and bring our faith. Like Ruth took her faith to her kinsman redeemer. Take your faith to Jesus. Take your faith to him. See, Jesus isn't ashamed to call us brothers and sisters because he has taken our place of suffering. We couldn't redeem ourselves. Only Jesus could redeem us. The great kinsman, redeemer. And like Ruth came to the feet of Boaz, you and I can come to the feet of Jesus. Like Ruth came, and lay before the feet of Boaz. We can come boldly into the throne room of our God. We can come boldly to the feet of Jesus. 
And it's at the feet of Jesus we'll never be denied. It's at the feet of Jesus, no matter what you're facing, he can touch you. Nothing is too bad, no tragedy is too great for our kinsman redeemer to redeem us and put us on the track of triumph. It's at his feet that we find his redemption. So take your place at the feet of Jesus. There you can expect his blessing. It's at the feet of Jesus that you will find joy in the midst of your sorrow. It's at the feet of Jesus you'll find strength when you're weary. It's at the feet of Jesus you'll find peace in the storm. It's at the feet of Jesus you'll find everything that you need. Ruth came to the feet of Boaz and found redemption. You and I can come to the feet of Jesus and not only find redemption, we can find hope and joy and love and patience and peace. Whatever we need is found at the feet of our kinsman redeemer, Jesus. You show God your faith, and he'll show you his faithfulness. You come to Jesus in faith. You come to Jesus in, in brokenness. You come to Jesus needing a touch. He will respond to you with his faithfulness in whatever you need. Put action behind your belief. When you're stuck in your tragedy, step out in faith because your kinsman redeemer is there to bless you. What I love about the story of Ruth is the third thing that I noticed is this, is legacy. The life of Ruth, the story of Ruth is the story about legacy. You know, legacy to us is very important. In fact, my, my wife and I are, are, are expecting our, our, our first baby. And um, I'm, we're, we're so excited. We don't know what we're having yet. Um, but whatever it is, we've got a bunch of names. You know, we've got boy names and we've got girl names. And, 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 and a name is very important because we are, are, are making a decision ourselves that we want the name of our child to be a prophetic message over their future. We want it to be a declaration over their life and a declaration of the type of person that, that they're going to be with the, with the power of God. And, and so, you know, we, we, we got all these names kind of picked out and we got, got, got some different ones. You see, I, I wanted to name our child Jedediah if it's a boy. Um, that way we could nickname him Jedi, and um, he would be the coolest third grader in all of third grade. I'd be, I'd, I'd be taking him to baseball practice, and they'd be like, your dad's so cool, he named you Jedi. Everybody want to be his friend, Jedi, Jedi, you know. She shot that one down pretty quick. But a name is important. There's a reason why we, that we have juniors, and we have the thirds, and we have the fourths and the fifths, and, and we have the seconds, right? There, there, there's a reason the naming of a child is so intentional. It's because as a, as a human, we long to leave a legacy. We long to, to leave something beyond our life. That's why, that's why boys and girls are named after their parents and, and named and, and legacy. There's a desire in us to leave a legacy. I, I, I want you to see this. Is your faithfulness in your life now isn't simply for now. It's for the generations to come. Ruth, she didn't even know it, but she wasn't being faithful just that she 
could experience a triumph. She was being faithful now so that the generations to come could experience the results of her faithfulness. You and I aren't being faithful to the kingdom of God just for our lifetime. We're being faithful to the kingdom of God for those who are going to be saved 10, 15, 20, 50, 80, 100 years from now. As our faithfulness isn't just for us now, it's for those to experience the results of our faithfulness in the future. So Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, I love this about, about Ruth. Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. Salomon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Interesting that Boaz's mom was Rahab the prostitute. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Verse 16 in Matthew 1 says, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. You want to live a life that surpasses you? Be faithful. Be faithful. Become a, a faithful person because your faithfulness outlives you. Your faithfulness outlives you. Don't simply live for this generation. Live for the next generation. Ruth's faithfulness not only blessed her life, but it was through her faithfulness that God would bring redemption to the world. Church, understand this. Because of the simple faithfulness of Ruth, you and I are experiencing her faithfulness today, the results of her faithfulness today, because we've been invited in as Gentiles into the kingdom of God. There are generations to come that simply need you to be faithful. There are generations to come that need the results of faithfulness of our church. There are generations to come that need us to allow our faithfulness to outlive us. Perhaps the tragedy that you're going through is God wanting to see how faithful you can be so that he can then bless your legacy. Because it's our faithfulness that makes us trustworthy. Our faithfulness reveals how trustworthy to God we are. The goal of our lives isn't to build something big for the moment. It's to build a legacy. It's to build something beyond ourselves. See, when we're willing to serve others with our lives now, God will establish us for generations. A life of service is a legacy that God can bless. A life of service is a legacy that God can bless. You must be willing to let go of your own interests before you can pick up your God-given destiny. And it fascinates me in Ruth chapter 4, verse 6. The family redeemer is Boaz and him having this conversation. And the family redeemer responds to Boaz with this. I can't redeem it. Because this might endanger my own estate. You redeemed the land. I cannot do it. See, the other redeemer was more concerned for himself than taking care of God's business. 
And if we are going to position ourselves to leave a legacy with our lives, we have to become more interested in other people than we are interested in our own interests. There was a family redeemer ready who was able to take the place, and he said, I can't do it because it will endanger everything that, I, that, I've, that I've built. And the moment that we become inwardly focused is the moment that we've cut ourselves off from the kingdom. See, when our lives become about ourselves, we're out of order. There was an order to the Old Testament. There was an order that the closest kins and redeemer would, would redeem the family. And this, this family redeemer, we don't even know his name. This family redeemer had the power to do it. He had, in a sense, the order to do it. But there was something in him where he became so consumed about his own interests that he got out of order of God's law. I can't do it. You do it. I can't. I can't risk it. You do it. God can't and won't bless things out of order. He can't do it. He won't do it. So the thing that we can do to position ourselves for the blessings of God is to line up with his word. Line up with what he says. So I want to encourage you today, align yourself up for the blessings of God to be poured out over your life. Align yourself to God's word. Align yourself to his principles. Align yourself. I want to ask you this. Are you in position to receive what God wants to bring your way? Ruth was in position to be taken to her triumph. She didn't just end up there on accident. So may we in the midst, in the middle, between the tragedy and the triumph, be in position for God to take us. Let us pray. Father, thank you, God, for for speaking to us about being faithful people. And I pray right now, God, your Holy Spirit would just begin to search us, know us, Search the deep parts of our lives. God, if there's anything in us, God, that you want to change, God, we yield you. We say, do what only you can do. We repent. Want to be who you've called us to be. Thank you that you are rich in mercy. Thank you that you are rich in pouring out your faithfulness. With every head bowed, every eye closed this morning, we're talking about the kinsman redeemer. See, by yourself, each of us have tallied up a great debt because of sin. Because of the wrong things we've done, because of the evil in our hearts. Nothing we can do in ourselves can repay the debt that our sins made. this morning, talk about the great kinsman redeemer, Jesus, by accepting him into your heart, by asking his forgiveness of your sins, he will stand in the gap and every debt that you have because of your sin, he will pay every debt that you have because of the things that you've done in your life, he will repay and he'll give you fresh life and not just simply life, but life more abundantly.
And this morning, you want to accept Jesus into your heart. You want him to be your kinsman redeemer. You want to come to his feet. You want to come with faith to the feet of your kinsman redeemer. If that's you this morning, you want to give your heart to the Lord for the first time or, or rededicate your heart to the God. Just on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. We're going to say a prayer together. One, two, three. I see that. I see that. And as a church family, can we all say this prayer after me? Say, dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I have a debt that I cannot repay. I need you to come into my heart. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again. And from this day forward, I will live for you. Come and take my tragedy and take me into triumph. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Come on, give Jesus a clap of praise for those that said that prayer.